All right, I'm going to start over. Uh, and the reason why I'm going to start over is that I am recording this also. And so it just makes it easier to start over <laughs> for the for later purposes. Uh, okay. <clears throat> so this morning is our next to last sermon in our series, One Kingdom Indivisible. Uh, we have been preaching this series along with more than 20 other churches to reinforce that our citizenship uh, is in the kingdom of God and that this is our primary mode of identification, that we are citizens of God's kingdom before we are anything else. The unity that we have as followers of Jesus is far deeper than any earthly alliance we could have. And so the approach that we've taken to the series is to trace the theme of the kingdom of God broadly throughout scripture. We've looked at creation, exodus, exile, gospel, and the church. And in each of these chapters, we have seen how God desires unity both with and amongst his people. But in each of these ideas and concepts and, and chapters in the lives of God's people, uh, there has been an, an underlying idea which really makes all of these things happen. Do you remember, let's just start here. Do you remember what it feels like to be homesick? Uh, maybe as a kid, you were one of those who didn't like to go to your friend's house to spend the night because you didn't like being away from your family. I, at least I don't think I was ever one of those kids. And that's a form of homesickness for sure. But what I have in mind this morning is something a little bit more severe. The kind of homesickness that I'm talking about is a feeling deep inside of you that you are not where you are supposed to be, coupled with an overwhelming desire to be home in, in a place of safety, the place that you belong. Now, I've experienced this in my life and in a way that I really didn't anticipate. When I graduated from uh, Pepperdine University 21 years ago, which makes me feel really, really old, I accepted my first job in Arlington, Virginia. Now, thinking back on that entire experience, the job was not one that I was thoroughly convinced that I wanted, although I was really grateful to have it. L looking back, again, it's clear to me to see that, that God really guided me into that job. But at the time, there were some things I was, I was struggling with. Uh, there were some things that I thought were going to happen towards the end of my college life that didn't end up happening, and I found myself without very many options of what to do and where to go. So I accepted the job in Virginia, and I returned home to Fresno to spend a couple of months in the house that I grew up in with my parents. My sister got married. I got to spend a lot of time with friends, and then one day I got on a plane, and I flew to a place I didn't really know to work with people that I didn't know. And the church that I ended up working for, they had an apartment for me to live in. And these people were so wonderful. They put uh, furniture into the apartment, but, but the furniture wasn't my furniture. It was from a thrift store. And so really it was someone else's furniture. And, and they'd set up the whole apartment for me, which again was great, but like the kitchen, for example, the kitchen was fully stocked with more dishes and utensils and all that stuff than I could ever use. But I got there and I couldn't tell you where to find a fork. 
it was a feeling that I had never really experienced before. I was sick. I was homesick. And that sickness felt as strong or as palpable as any negative or bad feeling that I had ever felt in my life. I was desperately homesick. I, I can remember uh, sitting alone in my apartment and writing emails to my parents, these long sob stories about uh, how upset I was and how miserable I was and how lonely I was. So my mom, uh, she printed out all of those emails and <laughs> in her own wonderful way, she's so great, she put all of them into this folder and then in glitter wrote Bryce's Great Adventure on the front. When I went home for Christmas that first, uh, that first winter, she, she gave this to me as a gift. And then she wanted me to read these emails out loud to everyone. And I, I didn't want to. I, I knew what they said. I knew how miserable I sounded. But I read them out loud. And as soon as I did, I started to cry. Sitting there in my family's living room, reading these emails about homesickness, about being lonely. I had never known that kind of heartbreaking lack of connection, that absolute certainty that I wasn't home and I would have done anything. I would have done anything to go back home, but I had to stay and I'm glad that I did. This weekend, uh, we had a garage sale at my parents' house in Fresno. My parents are in their 80s and we're having to figure out what the best thing is for them. My mom is, has been living in a uh, an assisted living place for a long time. She's, she's been in and out of these places for almost a year now. And it's become clear that we're going to have to go through some of their stuff and, and even sell their house so that we can continue to pay or care for my parents uh, long term. Now, this is always a big deal, I think, to every family. But to our family, it is especially a big deal because my parents have lived in their house for 60 years. They planted all the trees. They've remodeled it a couple of times. And this place, more than any other place, at least for me, is home. And so this weekend, on the weekends before, my, my siblings gathered. My brother even came in from Europe. My sister came in from Missouri. My other two sisters came up from L.A. They spent the, a lot of time getting things together, and we all came together this weekend for the garage sale. We... We, we picked through some of the things from the collection of, of tools and decoration and, and dishes and the like that we wanted to keep. And then we set it all out in, in their backyard, their garages in their backyard. And, and so we set all these tables up and, and got everything ready for people to come. And it was a strange, strange thing to have people come in and buy things that belonged to my parents and to my family for so long. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. We weren't like selling baby books and that kind of stuff, but... You know, it was just stuff that we didn't need to keep anymore. My parents didn't need to keep. It was surreal. And my dad, my mom, uh, they stuck it out as well as they could. But I know how hard it had to be for them to have to sell this stuff off. And then discussion got around to what selling the house might look like and if we have to have an estate sale and all of these other things. Now, that discussion was even more difficult because it is weird to think about anyone else living in this house, this house 
that is the home of my family. That house is our home. And when that home no longer belongs to my family, I can hardly like wrap my mind around what that would mean or what that would look like. Now, there's a reason why uh, that's such a big idea for me, why such a big idea for anyone that has had to go through this. The reason why is that home is a powerful idea. Home is the place we belong. The one place out of anywhere in the world where we can feel safe, where we can be ourselves, where everything is just right in the world. It's the place where when you go, you suddenly relax. You can breathe easier. You know every nook and cranny. You know where everything is. Now, not everyone has had that same kind of experience. I mean, maybe you moved around so much as a kid that you never really felt like you had a home. Or maybe home wasn't a safe place for you. It wasn't a place where you could relax and be yourself. But no matter what your experience was growing up, home is a place that all of us desire. Our, our hearts and souls cry out for uh, the safety, the warmth, the belonging that we have when we are home. And that shows in the way that we use that, that term of home. The, the most destitute in our society are called what? Homeless. They're homeless because there is no place for them there is no place for them to go, and this is one of the worst designations that we can give anyone in our world. We spend our lives trying to make our home for us and for our children, and that's because home is special. Home is sacred. Now, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. But in all this talk of citizenship, in all this talk of kingdom, the underlying idea is that we have a home, and that home is not here. Our home, the place we most long to be, the place that we most desire, is, is with God in the full realization of his kingdom. That means that we don't live in this place as if this place is all that there is because as long as we are here, we are not where we are supposed to be. This is something that we need to feel deep in our bones. We need to feel homesick. Now, that's the challenge about a sermon like this and the passages that we're going to look at this morning. It's about feeling. It's about something inside of you that, that just doesn't quite feel right. It's about connecting to an emotion, a kind of thing that, that we may not usually try to connect to. And you know as well as I do that nobody can tell you how to feel or show you how to feel a certain way. But this morning, we're going to look at some passages from the letters to the Corinthians that at the very least help us to see the perspective that we are supposed to have while we are here in this place. But to get started, let's take a look at Corinth itself because it will help us understand why these words were so meaningful for Paul to share with them. 
Paul started the church in Corinth at the end of his second missionary journey, and he stayed there roughly 18 months before he moved on. Now, Corinth was a relatively young city. It was only around 94 years old when Paul visited there. But because of its strategic location for commerce, it sprang up really quickly, so it grew quickly. It was, uh, it was situated on a four-and-a-half-mile isthmus that connected mainland Greece and Achaia. So what they did was that ships were placed on wooden platforms and dragged across on a stone road across the isthmus between two ports, one of which was Corinth. And they did this because it was safer and faster for the ship rather than going around the end and doing a 200-mile trip. So Corinth... Uh, became a cosmopolitan city uh, where there was great wealth. The, the city supported, excuse me, the arts, uh, religion. There were at least 26 uh, different temples and shrines, and it was well known, uh, in, oddly enough, for its sexual pursuits. In fact, uh, Plato even used the term Corinthian girl to describe prostitutes uh, when he was writing. And Aristophanes used the verb to act like a Corinthian to talk about fornication. Uh, there was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, fertility and beauty built up on the hill overlooking Corinth. And so temple prostitution was practiced in various forms there. So besides that, it was a really important commercial center. It drew people from every corner of the earth. You had temples for Greek gods, Egyptian gods, uh, even a Jewish synagogue. And in many ways, the city was a melting pot of ideas where religions and lifestyle and all these different things were mixed together. In some ways, uh, it's like, you know, if, if you've ever met someone from New York, I mean, in particular, someone who is from Manhattan, they want you to know that they're from New York. They're, they're proud of being there. In a lot of ways, it's because of what a culturally diverse city it is for everything that it offers. And Corinth, in some ways, was viewed the same way. Now, the Corinthian church was started in this place, the most worldly of places. And because of this, the church struggled to know how to be citizens of the kingdoms of the kingdom of God first. Now, this struggle manifests itself in a million different ways, which if you read through uh, the letters to the Corinthians, you can see all of these ways. They had uh, issues with elitism, uh, with, they had power struggles, uh, struggles over influence, spiritual gifts, uh, chaotic worship, and all sorts of other things, sexual sin. But at the root of this struggle was the fact that they were trying to be Corinthians who were Christians instead of being Christians who simply lived in Corinth. They thought that they were home instead of being homesick. So while Paul wrote to them about all of the specific things they needed to address, he knew that if real change was going to happen in their lives, they were going to have to make some changes in how they saw themselves and how they saw the world. They had to learn how to become homesick. So here are three things that he wanted them to know. Number one, we have to know that what we experience now is not the whole picture. In fact, it's just part of it. 
from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 13, which if you've ever been to a wedding, you know this is the passage about love. But there's an interesting note in here that is going to help us get this perspective that Paul wants us to have. So again, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And these three things remain, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, looking at these verses, <clears throat> There are a lot of descriptions that are used in here that help us gain the perspective that Paul wants us to have. And he talks a lot about spiritual maturity. And it would be easy to read this and think, well, he's talking about the Corinthian spiritual maturity. I mean, after all, they were young. They, were, they hadn't been Christians for very long. They were learning on the fly. They had a lot of growing up to do. But we have to note that Paul isn't just talking about them. He's not saying, you need this, and you need this, and you need this. Instead, he says, I, he says, we, which means that Paul, who undoubtedly admitted that he had faults and mistakes and didn't know everything, we know he considered himself to be a mature Christian. And so Paul is lumping himself into this discussion. He is a part of all of this. And here's what he said. What we think we know and understand in this moment, what we think we feel, even the great spiritual gifts that we think that we have, they are only a part, they are only a fraction of what we one day will have. We don't have complete knowledge or understanding and we won't have complete knowledge or understanding in this place. Whatever we can gain here, is only a reflection as if looking at it in the mirror instead of looking at it directly. It's, it's knowing only a part, seeing only a part, being known only in a part. But one day, one day, we will experience completeness, fullness. We will know and we will be known. So what we have here, what we experience here is nothing like what we will have and experience and know and see when we are united with our God. Now we see in part, then we shall see fully. Number two. The difficult and temporary nature of this life shows itself to us if we pay attention. Now, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we can get so caught up in having the best life 
here, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. God wants us to live a good life here. But sometimes we can get so caught up in it that we lose sight of the temporary nature of this place. From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Paul here is describing the way in which we need to see ourselves and the world around us. And the starting point for this discussion is that we need to recognize our own fragility. We are like jars of clay. Do you know what happens when you drop a jar of clay? It breaks, right? We had an experience this weekend where we dropped something meaning that was ceramic and it broke into several pieces. If you drop a jar of clay, it breaks. We know this. And, and this is what Paul uses to describe us. We are like jars of clay. Now, the reason why we need to see ourselves this way is so that we recognize that the power that we have, the goodness that we have comes from God and not from ourselves. Now, we are pressed, we are persecuted, we have these things, but we do not break because of the power that we have inside of us. But there's something else we carry around inside of us. Just to really make sure everyone is encouraged, we carry around death. Death inside of us. We are fragile, we are mortal, we are going to face are in, but we carry around this death, in particular the crucifixion of Jesus, so that we can also carry around his life. You see, we know that one day the same God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us so that we may have a new life with God. So the conclusion that he comes to is this. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
The reason why we do this, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, is because if we fixed our eyes on what is seen, what would we experience? <laughs> we, would, we would see its limitations. We would reach the end of what it could offer us. We would experience and feel despair and heartbrokenness. But we, we are not those people, though we are jars of clay. We have this life inside of us, and therefore we look not at what is seen, but what is unseen, recognizing that what is here is temporary. It, it can't last. It's not meant to last. And instead, we look to the eternal, beyond, beyond all of this, knowing that yes, this is going to last and, or this is going, not going to last or, or yes, I am going to die, but that's okay because there is something bigger. There is something more for us. We look forward to what is to come. Thirdly, because of our knowledge of what is to come, we are not comfortable here. From 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. Here Paul cuts right to the heart of it, to the feeling. We do not live for this place, but it's more than that. We've said that. We are uncomfortable here. Because while we are here, we recognize that things are not as they should be. It's like living in a tent when you could live in a house. It's like the dream supposedly everyone had. You are naked and you want to be clothed. This, this is the feeling, this restlessness that, that Paul believes we need to live with. Do you have that restlessness in you? Maybe you feel it more now than you ever have before. Just to be clear, what Paul is describing here is not a death wish. It's not like, I, I just want to die. And it can't be summed up in that. Instead, 
It's a knowledge, a, a, a deep feeling that as long as we are here, we are not where we are supposed to be. That as long as we are here, we are away from God. That as long as we are here, it's like, it's like we're naked, waiting to be clothed. It is the most profound and deep of feelings, a spiritual longing that cannot be filled by anything you experience here. Because it's the knowledge that you don't belong. The overwhelming desire to be with God. It's homesickness. Now, the thing is that you can't be homesick if you are in love with this place. I mean, I don't know how long we want to stretch out this analogy, but you can have all sorts of home, houses, but there's only one home. You can only have one home. And as long as we are here, we are not home. And if we love this place, can't get enough of this place, then we have made this place our home. And that homesickness is not something we can manufacture for the place that God has for us. We cannot make the mistake of living for a kingdom of earth. We live for a kingdom that's wholly different. And maybe like me, you've looked around at everything that's happening right now and you feel the stress of what's going on in the world, the fight for racial justice, everything that's happening socially around us, everything that's happening politically, the fear about what's coming up in front of us with the election and everything else. And all of this together, this package that we're living in now has really made me grow tired of this place. And our first response might be, well, that's a negative thing, but it's really not because to a degree, we have to become disillusioned with this world if we are going to begin to live for the world that comes. How can we be homesick if we're not sick of this place? Because we know that we cannot live in the fullness of the kingdom until we leave here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 56. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that there is no better time to be sick of this world than now. There's no better time to just be done with all that this world stands for, all that it fights for, and all that it thinks is important. There is no better time than now to live for the kingdom of God, to feel naked and away from him, to let homesickness sink in to your weary heart, and to know that someday you are going to leave here. And when you do, you're going home.